Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Kelly Starrett. And I'm Juliette Starrett. And you're listening to the Ready State Podcast. You got it! You better stop it! This episode of the Ready State Podcast is brought to you by Element. And what we want to talk about today is the fact that it is hot element season. Yeah. Can you explain what that is? <laughs> we have a couple friends who work in Chinese medicine and they're like, you need to drink everything hot. And they started getting me to drink hot element. And I have to tell you right now, you sort of want to be entertained instead of reaching for the coffee, you reach for the hot element. It's delightful. A hot lemon lime drink. It reminds me, wait for it. When I was a young child hiking in <laughs> Nepal, they would hand me this lemon lime tea up at uh, Nam Shea Bazaar. Oh, you're so fancy. Near, near a space camp. And that literally, it brings all those feelings back. It's so delicious. It's warming. It's a wonderful way to be rehydrating. And I tell you what, I drink so much more. Well, that's the thing I was going to say. It's it's like a secret hydration hack because in the cold winter months, yeah, you don't want to drink... Ice water. Yeah, you don't want to drink a bunch of ice water. And I find myself like not really drawn to just drinking my cold water all day. But if I have a huge insulated bottle of Element... I get through a couple of big bottles a day and I'm super hydrated. Element has some great seasonal flavors, chocolate and chocolate mint, and they just do some great job making it easier. But I'm telling you, turn your Element obsession like we are. Into we, hot Element. We literally drink it every day. If you want to order through our link to get a free sample pack with all the Element's flavors, go to drinklmnt.com slash TRS. This episode of the Ready State Podcast is brought to you by Vitruvian. Let me tell you what the Vitruvian is. I'm going to give you a use case that's going to blow your mind. So Vitruvian is this deck that's maybe about eight inches high. And it's kind of a, a rectangular platform. And out of it comes a couple cables. And you can attach handles to those cables, a bar to that cable. And then any weight lifting movement you can do from the, from the ground, you can do with the Vitruvian. You want to bench press, you want to deadlift, you want to front squat, you want to press... And there's all these different ways where you can modify load on there. You can work on accommodating resistance. So it means when you start to give up or your muscles are weak, it'll just back off. You can set up eccentric only, heavy negatives. The reason I think it's so cool is that a lot of people know they need to lift a weight and they don't have to get fancy in this. I just talked to a physical therapist who's in Australia and there's a pretty revolutionary program for osteoporosis going on right now. And what they're doing, wait for it, Prescribing strength training. Pressing, <laughs> squatting. Right. And what's cool about this is you can add one pound at a time to the Vitruvian. So you don't have to have fives, you don't have to have tens, you don't have to worry. And the fail-safes are built in. So if you know, I want to put muscle on, you want to get stronger bones. Turns out you've got to lift a weight. And this is the easiest way because it fits in your garage. It can fit in your spare room. Yeah, I mean, it can fit under your coffee table in your living room. And I let mean, me this thing is very storable. This is called basic linear progression. You do five sets of five and a few exercises. And then the next time you do... You add a little bit more weight. Yeah, one pound. <laughs> and I'll see you in a few months. And yeah. you literally are going to have your life changed. And the Vitruvian makes it that easy. Yeah, and you don't need to have a ton of crazy equipment. This thing is easy to store and easy to use and intuitive, and it's very cool. So you guys should check it out. For more information, go to thereadystate.com slash Vitruvian. We are very excited to welcome Dr. Andy Galpin to the podcast today. Andy is a tenured full professor at California State University Fullerton, where he is also co-director of the Center for Sport Performance and founder slash director of the Biochemistry and Molecular Exercise Physiology Laboratory. 
He is a human performance scientist with a PhD in human bioenergetics and over 100 peer-reviewed publications and presentations. Dr. Galpin has worked with elite athletes across the UFC, MLB, NBA, PGA, NFL, boxing, Olympics, and military special forces, and more. He is also a co-founder in Absolute Rest, Biomolecular Athlete, Vitality Blueprint, and Rapid Health and Performance. And I'll just say, I cannot believe this is the first time we've had Dr. Galpin on the podcast. First, we should just (laughs) get it out there that he is so lazy. He's so lazy. lazy. He's not doing very many things. We have known Andy for a long time. And Andy was the first, I want to say, serious scientist who, for me, transcended sort of the action of sport science into actual sport. He was a user. We've been working together with, we've shared athletes, we've shared, you know, we've been on the same sort of platforms, same camps, and he is a wealth of knowledge. Yeah, and he was really the first person in my own experience that was really also trying to take all this amazing science and research being done and break it down for like the everyday person yeah. to understand. And I think he really was, you know, he was really on the forefront of that movement. Yeah, I, I want I try to think back, you know, early internet, <laughs> you know, YouTube in 2010, and there weren't that many real voices of sort of, I'll we'll call it citizen scientists. And I mean, citizen in the terms of he's an athlete working with athletes and he's also a leading researcher. It's pretty cool. One of the things I really love is that he's such a deep nerd and so sort of uh, agnostic because the data says what the data says, but he's also very much saying, hey, look, we, at the end of the day, we've got to make people's lives better and performance is what matters. Yeah, and I think he has such, I mean, you touched on this a little bit, but he has such a unique perspective because he does have that like very serious research science background, but he also is working as a coach and he's teaching undergraduates. Right. <laughs> you know, he he's also a teacher. And so I think, you know, that's really required him to be able to make this information understandable and relatable. Um, and I think that's one of his, like, really special secret superpowers is that he's able to cross over all these universes. And, you know, he doesn't get so sucked into the science that he can't, you know, he really can see the application in sport and in education. And it's, it's really cool to see how he synthesizes all that information. We know you're going to love this conversation with our friend. But also, I encourage you, if you're a little bit interested in understanding some of the basic tenets of science and exercise physiology, he puts so many lectures up that you could honestly have a graduate level education in his brain and basic exercise physiology. It's all on the internet. This human is extraordinary. Yeah, this is a really cool conversation. I'm excited to hear what you all think. Dr. Andy Gelfin, welcome to the Ready State Podcast. This is way too long in coming. In fact, I can't believe we haven't already had you on the show, and we're really excited to chat you up today. Yeah, I'm excited, of course, to be here. It has been too long. I'm a little offended, second this long, and it's also a little bit awkward that like five-second pause we just had to do to go dark got me all flustered, but now I'm ready to go. <laughs> yeah, you're like, I forgot who I even am. I was, like, was it my line? Was it my line? Was it my line? Oh, shoot. What are we doing here? Nope. That's theirs. Before we get this rolling, I wanted to point out something that you may not know that you and Kelly share in common. Turns out I do too, um, is that you guys have an IMDB page. I noticed that you have one and I remember that Kelly also has one and somehow I have one. 
I don't even know. There's no question here. I just want to say is that, that because the three of us are so famous, we're infamous. Well, I think what it is is if you appear on the Joe Rogan podcast, it, you automatically get an IMDb page, which both of you have, and then if you appear on Good Morning America, which we have, you also get an IMDb page. So there's the magic right there. You know, mine is not from either one of those. Oh, what's it from? Uh, we did a TV show with Fox on Fox a handful of years ago with uh, Conor McGregor, but he was still hadn't fought for a title yet. And uh, it was it was a cool show, actually. It was kind of like the 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 rising of these stars are on the next cusp. And then we did all this stuff in the lab on them, it does testing, and it's sort of like what's unique about these athletes and all that. And it went super well. And then the UFC, I think right after that, they sold or something. So they just kind of like forgot about the project. So I think the people behind that put the IMD page, IMDb page up. So. Well, I just want to talk to you about your star rating on IMDb. And that's, <laughs> no, uh, look, you, you just set it up perfectly. So tell us where you're coming from and what your day job is and how you ended up having access to this lab. So as a way of introduction for the people who aren't, who haven't grown up with you, because I feel like I literally for the last 20 years, I've grown up with you. I'd say more like I probably, uh, I grew up with you. I was a young buck, pretty young when you guys started really, coming out and I got to just watch you guys go and I just got to follow behind the whole time a little bit. <laughs> well, I mean, Kelly is 50 now. Just pointing that out. Just reminding you. Let's remind everyone that I'm not 50. Thanks a lot. <laughs> 50. 50 is 50. It's been like three weeks for you. It is. Tell us about like why a lab? What's your day job? Like that's crazy that you dropped that Conor McGregor lab thing. What's that about? Yeah, sure. So uh, technically my day job is I'm a full professor at Cal State Fullerton. And I run the Center for Sport Performance there. So within that center, we've got seven or so laboratories that focus on human performance. So we don't do anything from the perspective of public health, disease, anything like that. It is strictly human performance stuff. So this is everything from classic exercise physiology stuff. So, you know, metabolism and VO2 max and you know, how you utilize fuel, et cetera, to motor control and learning. How do we learn skills and movements and techniques to biomechanics? to muscle physiology, which is my particular expertise, to strength conditioning, human performance, sports psychology, anything that we feel like has the ability to enhance human performance, you know, it's going to fall within our center somewhere. So my day job is technically that. I teach at the graduate level, strength and conditioning, program design, sports nutrition, you know, things like that. That's kind of one piece of my job. Uh, at the same time, we work in high uh, contact with high profile athletes. So I've worked with Olympic gold medalists, world champions, uh, all pros, Hall of Famers, uh, all-stars, MVPs, Cy Young winners, all that. We are currently coaching the number one of the biggest sports in America, um, the big ones. We're doing stuff in the lab. We're conducting research. We're, we're applying it in the field to these high-performance athletes. And then, of course, on the side, we're publishing that research and then disseminating that as much as I can. So public outreach, science communication has always been a big part of what I do. So within that, I'm also involved in a lot of uh, companies, several of my own, as well as others, some that we share in common that are in this human performance technology, sleep, nutrition, blood work, et cetera, realm. So it's a little bit of science, a little bit of teaching, a little bit of application, and a little bit of industry, if you will. So in a, in a big nutshell, that's really what I do. I mentioned this in the intro, but you have quite the educational resume. You studied exercise science as an undergraduate, you went on to get a master's in human movement and then you got you also got a PhD. I have to think that you, you know, had a passion for this that, you know, drove you to spend all this time and effort getting all of these degrees in education, which I know is no small task. What do you think is behind it? Like, 
I know that you had a childhood athletic and childhood and college athletic career. Like, tell us a little bit about like, where did this passion for human movement, exercise physiology, research science, what's the backstory? Where did that come from? Yeah, sure. Uh, the reality of it is, like, Kelly was joking before we started recording, but I'm a redneck and that's real. I'm a country kid. Like I come from uh, the country and I don't come from academics or science. I didn't know what a PhD was. I didn't know what a master's degree was. I had none of that stuff. So no one in my family or in my community did anything like this. But we were very involved in sport. So I played everything growing up. And one thing that was very consistent about the ethos and the culture where I grew up was just, hey, losing is okay. We're not the, the biggest kids. We're not the best kids, all that. But hard work is never acceptable to lose because you got outworked or underprepared or uh, excuses, not okay. Like half the kids I grew up with were feeding the horses before school, then going to school and then coming home. Like, like that's just what you did. Right. And like, there was just no rationale for, you didn't take care of your own self. Things like that were really frowned upon. And so I had this love of sport and I had this ingrained, well, it's your responsibility if you want to do anything about your life. And so I was a perfect mix in my opinion of, I was good enough in sports to where incentives mattered. When I did things better, it translated into better things. If I wasn't good enough though, to where that stuff didn't matter, right? So like, I can be whatever, I'm still gonna be an All-American. That wasn't the case. So I was good enough to play college football, the small college football. And I was good enough to start, but not start as a freshman and not like, so you guys get it. I had all the incentives that were like, hey, if you work harder than everybody else, you'll see more success. And you'll be the first person in your school to go and play college football, to go and do sort of all these things. But if you don't, you don't get any of those things and no one is gonna care. And so that really is what drove me to be like, I just wanted to be better at sports, like personally. And then also my parents grew up, my mom and my dad, my dad is a construction worker and my grandpa was a construction worker, road construction. And so I would have the opportunity to work for my dad or with my dad growing up, but he always made me work with him because he always said, like, I want you to know what you never want to do in life. You're never going to do this and you need to understand that. So I would go through those, these horrific, horrific you know, summers and another time working for him. And he was like, always, I don't know what you want to do. I don't care what you want to do, but you're not doing this. And so that lesson was there. And so I thought, man, it, can I make a career just in sports? I don't know what that is. I had no idea what like strength conditioning was in a field. These things weren't possible. I didn't want to be athletic trainer. I didn't want to be those things. I thought about being a doctor, but I realized there's no chance I'll get into med school. My God, I can't, I couldn't get through it academically anyways. So eventually I just was sort of like, I don't know, I'm just going to go to sports. I'm going to go into human performance. I'm going to figure it out. I know there's no jobs there, but I don't care. And uh, it worked itself out. You just invented a field. Totally. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, one of the things I thought was interesting that made me think a lot about my own college athletic career and even high school, because I was a rower at Cal, but I was too small for that sport. But you said something about your own football career on some interview or something I listened that you, know, you really had to care about the details in the way that others didn't. And probably that was part of what, you know, piqued your interest so much. And I really feel like I had a similar experience because I was way too short for the sport I was doing. And, you know, I was rowing against these girls who could just be big and by that fact alone, tall and big and, you know, strong that they could destroy me. And so I had to always be really careful around the edges and, you know, make sure that I was paying attention to the details that a lot of my teammates didn't have to pay attention to. You mean just getting enough bagels and mochas? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, obviously there was there were some problems. This was also the early 90s, the dark ages. But anyway, I... Did you feel like that was part of your own athletic career, you know, playing at a small school? and? Yeah, 100%. And the reality of it is, it's still an annoying trait to this day. Uh, try to watch a football game with me. 
like it drives my wife nuts right because i'm so like i'm calling plays i'm calling protections like i'm like oh i bet you're doing and like and my wife's just like what? how and i'm just like i don't know like i just i'm so enamored with uh the cognitive aspect of football specifically because it's so challenging uh, there so yeah like that stuff is it's everything and so it made me be like okay great uh in fact initially my first thought was i'll just be a football coach right but then i realized like i don't want to actually do that it's it's the human performance thing i cared about it wasn't necessarily just football and what i was also really interested in is i'm a huge believer and proponent of first principles and so when i would see somebody perform better like in football i'd always think like well, what's the it worked in football but like what, what's the core thing here like what actually did it so could i zoom back what's the principle what's the outlining thing and zooming back to find these as close to you can to be core truths so if somebody wants to feel better every day like what is that okay if they want to use that to play football great but they want to use that to just work better. i started caring less and less about the actual direct application of it and started caring more about what is that first principle thing that we need to get to and that's probably why early kind of in my career, I was pretty good to be as arrogant as I can be here. Um, pretty good about not falling into traps of new flashes in the pan of ideas of training of recovery, whatever, because anything that didn't sit right at first principles wise, I'm like, man, it just doesn't feel right. Like, I don't think this is going to translate across everything. I think this is just kind of working in this weird scenario. So I was pretty good about missing a lot of those bumps because of that approach. Right. And, and additionally, what it allowed me to do is work with athletes and now in the most recent years, even extending way out past athletes, we've got actors and rock stars and tons of just non-athletes. But being able to come back and say, how can I have success in everybody? There is a way, right? In reality, the way I kind of say it is most humans really want three things with their physical practice. They want to look a certain way, whatever that is to them, whatever shape they like, but they want to look the way that they want to look for maybe bad reasons. It doesn't matter, but they want to look a certain way. They want to feel a certain way. And they want to be able to perform a certain way. Okay, great. So if I can get you to look, feel, and perform the way you want to feel and what you want, you can go use that however you want it. You want to use that to play basketball better. I don't care. You want to use that to fight people in your underwear in a cage. That's great too. You, you want to use that to run four businesses and still be a present parent. I don't really care. And so like I realized like that was actually the part I was more interested in. And that's why I didn't just go into football or just go into hockey or just go into anything and just be like the hockey guy or the fighting guy or whatever. And that's why people were like, how do you work with athletes? And, at this high level in all of these sports, that's exactly how. I'm just worried about those big things once I get their physiology on point. I'm not the sport coach. I'm not the tactics or the technical coach. Uh, I'm just gonna care about this part of it and then you can deploy that there. So I'm kind of pretty far off track with the original question, but um, that's my answer. No, well, that, that was great. That really resonates with me. I mean, I feel like I have a similar track where, you know, I'm like the shoulder isn't that complicated, everybody. It just doesn't do that many things. So let's make sure your shoulder does the things that we all agree it should do. And then how you want to spend those credits, entirely up to you. I mean, this is ready state, right? Like, this is the whole damn point. This is why you have to name the company like that, right? Like, this is exactly why you guys change the name, right? When I think of yes, thank you. sports performance, <laughs> Cal Fullerton doesn't always ring the bell. I think, you know... Cal I, State Fullerton. Yeah, I think there are bigger, sexier, money-driven Red Bull Institute of Sport. Just think about some of these very high-profile places. And yet, I'm not sure... Kelsey Fullerton has always had a high-performance department. Did you help create that? So that's actually interesting. Our baseball team, for the record, is extremely good. Many national championships, tons of Major League Baseball players, all that. And the rest of our programs are not, they're Big West, right? So they're Division One, but they're not Power Five. They're not Berkeley. They're not UCLA, et cetera. 
I actually don't have any involvement whatsoever in our Cal State Fullerton athletics. Never once of any kind. Never once had a single person there reach out to me or ask me anything ever in 12 years. That's what I'm saying is just that you quietly have subverted the entire sports industry into creating one of the densest places of research and performance understanding under the roof of, you know, of a California university. What's interesting for me is, you know, one of the things you described is the diversity of skills and attributes that you're exploring from muscle physiology to human sports psychology. And, you know, Lenny Wiersma is a friend of ours, you know, up here at Cal now. And I really appreciate the diversity. And one of the things that I think is your superpower that I'd love you to talk about for a second is you have this domain expertise, but you are so competent across so many other domains. And sometimes I see people get locked up and sort of siloed in their own field and they can't trans boundary span. They can't span and sort of see from different perspectives. It always sounds like you were interested in sort of this pattern recognition piece, but is that one of the sort of salient features of this community you found yourself in? Yeah. So the, I'll answer both parts of this question. First of all, Lenny is fantastic. My only complaint about him is he's got terrible taste in teams and sports. Just horrific taste. <laughs> <laughs> go Seahawks. So when I finished college, I actually was super fortunate to go work and intern for Mark Verstegen. I know Kelly, you know Mark. Uh, and this was 2003 or something like that. Uh, and back then he had a the yeah, original yeah, the general. OG time. Yes. General is the right word. Totally. First got to really say, hey, we're going to put a strength conditioning facility together that has nutrition and Cairo and PT and just put everything in one place. Change directions, but still there. So I was fortunate to work with him. Realized quickly I didn't want to be a full-time strength coach. Remember I told you earlier, I was, maybe I want to be a football coach. Didn't want to do that. Maybe I want to be a strength coach. Realized quickly, I cannot handle that at all. Like it was too mundane, too, felt too small. And I don't mean that as any pejorative to anybody out there. But for me personally, it just it wasn't going to be there. And so I made that decision. Data set's really small. Yeah. And by small, I meant it's over super complicated, uh, of course. But um, I just felt like I, it wasn't as much of an impact as I could make on somebody if I just had that. And so when I decided to, to continue my education, I thought, man, like, I know a lot of people know a lot about strength conditioning. But then there's this whole like muscle physiology science out there that people don't really have. But then there's actually some scientists that know a lot about that, but I don't know really many people at all that have actually practically coached professional athletes like I had at that time, was an athlete myself, and had a PhD in muscle physiology. I thought if I can do those two things, I'm going to put myself together in a position where I have a, a pretty unique calling. I don't know what that's going to be or what it's going to matter, but that's going to give me, phrase it however you want, right? Give me a niche, give me a, a standout. Okay. So I did that. Spent seven years, uh, you know, as a master's and PhD program getting that. When I was close to finishing, I was lucky uh, because a guy who I had actually played football with in college was at Cal State Fullerton. He was leaving to go back to the Army to research the Army. And he said, hey, there's a guy, Lee Brown. And Lee Brown is a Lifetime Achievement Award winner, probably over 600 publications in strength and conditioning. He's the guy that really made um, post-activation potentiation stuff, like really come on the map for performance all this stuff. So legendary guy. He just started this strength conditioning program. It's one of the few academic strength conditioning programs. Most people that do my kind of research are stuck in maybe ex-phys at best, and they're probably even in like obesity type of stuff. And they're just like trying to do strength conditioning work when no one like is looking kind of, kind of a thing. And he's like, no, he wants to do a strength conditioning program and he wants someone that understands muscle physiology. And I was like, well, that's a short pool. <laughs> like, that's my dream. 
And I didn't want to be anywhere in California by any stretch of the imagination. I'm a country kid. I don't want to be anywhere in LA, but I was like, I can't pass this up. So when I got here, you said earlier, Kelly, I was like, you had kind of created your own job. I literally had created, I was like, I want to do human. I came in right at the gates and I was like, I want to do human performance research, kind of strength editioning. I want to do athletes. I want to do muscle biopsies. I want to do like all this other stuff. And in addition, I actually wrote this like in my application stuff. My PhD was in the lab of a guy named Dave Costell. And Dave is probably the guy who's on the front page of every exercise physiology textbook anyone's ever taken. One of the most legendary exercise physiology scientists of all time. And his rule was always one-to-one, which meant he wanted to publish one academic paper and then do one lay publication for every academic paper he published. Now, back then, there was no Twitter and things like that. So the only way to get science into people was to put it in runner's world or like something like that. So Dave went out of his way to make sure that the science got into people. So I came in, I said that, I said, I want to do research, but I want to spend as much time getting this information out to the rest of the world. So it's super funny because as the years go on and I get early tenure and all this stuff and people are so mad because I'm doing like all this public stuff. They're just like, you, you know, like you're never doing all these things like we have to do. How are you getting away with this? I'm like getting away with this. I told them day one, I was going to come in and do this. This was the contract. I followed the plan. <laughs> yeah, you're like, I am following the plan. When I point for the fence and yeah, swing yeah, yeah. and it goes you're to like, the I fence, no one should be surprised. Yeah. And so like, I, I nailed it there. Um, that all to finally kind of answer your question of like putting this thing together. Um, it wasn't very long for them to see like, wow, look at, look at what you're doing. And they just really have stayed like away from the because they're just like, keep, keep doing what you want to do. That all said, um, at the time I was still working with professional athletes. Once I, as soon as I got to California, I immediately had high level UFC fighters. It didn't take long for them to figure out what's going on. So it started coming in. So it's my opinion when you actually start coaching human beings, and I don't mean like online programs, no offense to those. I don't mean like a <laughs> consultation, send them a workout. I mean like, like we're, we're coaching the human being every day. You quickly realize like if you're only in one position, if you're only doing their macros, if you're only doing their fill in the blank, there's so many other things it takes to win a world championship in a sport as complicated as mixed martial arts specifically, right? There's other ones, but you guys, like, it's, it's not like, a, I'm going to get on the bike and do the same. There's just so many complicated aspects. And so I got so enamored with this, like, man, how do we manage a 45 pound weight cut with having to have aerobic capacity with speed and skill and just like all the different components, right? And so I just like, I want to know all of it. And so, you know, our research and our labs have, I've done at this point, I don't know, hundreds of muscle biopsies. We've done research on breath work. We've done research on, um, rock climbers we've done research on squatting with bands and chains like i don't really care because i'm looking at problems i'm trying to solve when i'm coaching and going like man i need to know the answer to this so i want to know if these guys put an ice bag on the back of their neck in between rounds of an mma fight is it doing anything like i want to know that because people are doing it like great we're gonna go figure it out i don't care that like technically my research agenda says blah 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 and then like i just never cared I didn't play that game at all. <laughs> like if, if it's something people can use or find value in, let's do it and let's figure it out. And, and that was really all I did. So that's kind of forced me to keep lanes, to keep my, my feelers out there for lanes of like what's going on here. And to have people like Lenny where I can go, yo, this, I think this person, we've done all this stuff. We've done all their blood work. We've done like all kinds of tech. We could talk about analysis and they got all kinds of stuff we've going on. We got some stuff over here and here, but really I think their biggest problem is sports psychology. I need you to take the lead. And like, I'm not doing that part, but I can know, I, all I need to know is to figure out what, what we call performance anchor. 
So I just need to find your performance anchors. And I need to find the biggest one to three. And if I can find that, that's where we're going to get most of our win. And, and I just need to know enough to see that. I don't need to know how like, to differentiate and grade and coach and all that stuff on there. But I need to be able to look at their sports psychology state or be able to look at their biomechanics or be able to look at their hydration status or their sleep and go, this is the core performance anchor for you. And there's other stuff we can do, of course, of course, of course. But this is where we're going to get the most thing out of you. Because the reality of it is, and you guys know, being around these high profile folks, you give them $50 million a year, they still only have 24 hours in a day. It doesn't matter. So like, you can only get these people to do so many things. And theoretically, we want to give them intact, cut off the training so they can be people. That too. Right. So they can have some kind of, you know, I just want to say that I so admire your mission from the beginning to be a scientist, but figure out how you can translate that and share that with, you know, the larger community and people around because at some point, you know, we can all go into PubMed and read 5,000 studies, but at some, really, what's the point of that if someone's not there to translate it and make it useful for the rest of us, you know? And and so I, first of all, just want to say, I, I admire that. And I love that that was your mission in your job from the very beginning and that now you're actually doing that. Like, it's just cool. It's like, you know, I don't really believe in manifesting, but man, if that's a thing, you did that. <laughs> the performance anchor is a word or a phrase I haven't heard before, actually. I love that. Yeah that concept, you know, we're asked to come in and help untangle a lot of, you know, tricky performance things. And so often it's not my domain at all. It has nothing to do with recovery or position or mechanics. I'm like, hey, I think you're underfueling and that's affecting your sleep. And we can't even tell what's the noise here from the data just because we have these type one errors in the system so much. I, It is really just so refreshing to be like, you should go talk to my expert friend. You know, and just, I'm just going to pivot and I'm like, oh, I'm suddenly, my role is to facilitate really important conversations. Honestly, this is our model, right? For all of our folks who come in, whether it's, it's our high level pros or it's uh, the non-professional athletes in our rapid health and performance program. What we do is, my philosophy is this, like I want to do exhaustive data collection, like completely excessive. We are going to collect a huge number of things that we probably didn't need to. But because we're doing that, that's going to allow us to give you hyper-precise, extremely simple solutions. Most of the people I've worked with, they have more money than time, right? And so it is a situation where they're like, I don't have six weeks to try this and see if it works. And then another six weeks to try the next thing and see if it works. Because my off-season is 12 weeks long total. And I got to be into camp kind of ready to go. Or I don't have an off-season. Or I have a company already or kids. and Like, I don't have three months to, to see and so if we can cut that down and go, look, we're going to spend a little more money in the front, but we're going to get everything answered possible. And then I can, with a very high likelihood of success, say, you just need to do A and B. Can you give me A and B? It's going to give us 80-20, right? It's, it's like chopping how you want. Can you give us an example without obviously, you know, telling who it was? Can you give us an example of something like that that made a big change so people can sort of imagine that? Oh, my God, I could give you a, a hundred examples. <laughs> Like this is this is what we do on on a daily. Well, I mean, we'll put it this way: we had um, one of the clients we work with is uh, we'll just say in finance, okay, very very high level finance, and it was very easy for us to calculate over the last two years this individual's sleep aggregated against success in trades. Yeah, you can see, and this was millions of dollars exchanged hands on good versus bad nights of sleep, millions, right? And so we said, hey, why don't we go spend a few thousand? I'm not talking a, a digital $300 consumer. Like there are better solutions than this for sleep, right? And so we went the full thing, full environmental analysis. 
the full sleep program. We have an absolute rest, everything built a sleep clinic in his room so we can run a full FDA approved clinical sleep study in his room every single night. Sleep gets fixed. And all of a sudden, this is millions of dollars, right? Now, I, give you, I, could, I could change that story 50 times and it's the same because we've done it like so many. We've done the same with people. We did this with a couple of special forces guys last year prior to going on deployment. Um, and these were like digestive issues, right? And it's like, okay, I can't go downrange here and worried about every time I eat something, I'm gonna have to run to the back of the woods. Like this is not going to work. And so there's a lot of ways we solve that problem a bunch of times too, but you'd be surprised like that sometimes that is as simple as, hey, there's actually some things going on. I think you need to go talk to my friend, Emily Hightower. Like, what? Yeah, that's gonna be your solution here, really. And that's, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's been in super simple. Um, a classic case we had, this is actually from my colleague. I wasn't involved in this one, but this is Dan Garner who we, we work with. So Dan had a guy in Dallas, all kinds of problems with testosterone, Dallas area, couldn't get it elevated the normal way. And, and like, we're not physicians, so we don't use medication or, or hormones or anything like that. Not against them, but that's just, we're high performance. We don't do medicine. Okay. So the classic stuff wasn't working. Eventually figured out there was actually a particular set of trees that were in his neighborhood that was getting him all kinds of an immune response. And this was tanking his testosterone figure that out and basically said, hey, every day when you go for your morning walk, instead of turning right and going down that road, turn left and going down this road. We did that six weeks later, 80% improvement in testosterone just gone up. And more importantly, it's the symptoms that matter, right? Like I don't care about biomarkers. I care about people. And so it's like, oh my God, my recovery is up. I'm sleeping. What the hell? Like all of these things. So I could go on and on. I could give you a ton of examples of this, but they're all examples of that performance anchor where it's like, look, sometimes we can oversell people on magic. Guys, it's just this one thing that's doing it all and like give you false hope. I don't want to do that. It's not always the case when there's one thing that changes somebody's life. Most of the time, it is a combination of a bunch of little things, right? It sucks. But that's that's reality. But there have been plenty of occasions where it is like, man, there are one or two things that can really jump off the charts and can really make a big impact super quickly if we can figure out what to focus on. And sometimes that focus is easy, taking away a single food item. It's not super common, but that can happen. Sometimes it's not as easy. Hey, we got a lot of stuff to unpack upstairs. I think we got some stress management. Like you got to, okay, and not our lane, but we can kick them out to an Emily or something. And so sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's not. Um, but yeah, we can, we can get some pretty big turnarounds with our performance folks. Easiest way. Like just, I mean, I can go on. I'll stop, but you guys get it. I gave you a bunch of examples. I love this. I love this big whole systems approach. I mean, we're always just talking about systems. Do you have any ways where I might juice the physiology to allow like a middle-aged guy with a TRS hat to like eat more cookies. That's just sort of like a, this guy I know, you know, that's really hundred percent. one of the things yeah. that I love about what I heard you say was, you know, and something that I believe strongly. And I think originally this, the first time I read it was in Consilience from EO Wilson, who's saying maybe the highest calling of science should be to transform the humanities. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. That's so good. What I love, it's so good. And I love that you have taken high performance and are actually saying, this is great for sport and it's our laboratory where we can understand this, but we can actually transform families and transform the household and transform the lives. I don't always think that that connection is made. I feel like that's a pretty relative new idea. I mean, I think people have been going in like I was a SEAL or I was an NFLer and I go and talk to a group of people, maybe, you know, in these sort of C-suites. But the idea that we might 
transform and understand ourselves better through sport, this is really sort of the manifestation and of the highest distillation of that concept, I feel like. Yeah, I'm going to give me goosebumps here because like, this is one of the things I'm most, most passionate about. Let me give you a, a couple of examples and then we might have time for one more question after I'm done with this. <laughs> <laughs> we may not though. So right now I'm actually, um, I'm an editor for a special issue of a journal in Frontiers that's called Athletes as the Gold Standard for Health. Uh, this is something I've been screaming for a very, very long time. You've, you've all probably heard me say a thousand times uh, the classic Bowerman line of, if you have a body, you're an athlete. I don't care how you want to express these physical features. I don't really care. But we're all after the same thing. The reality of it is I do not care if you're a sport person or not, but you want to look, feel, and perform a certain way. Whatever those ways are to you and your value system, irrelevant to me. But that is the fundamental core. We have absolutely no shot at that target, if we don't understand what great is, we cannot understand what not sick is. That is fine. And people, Peter has talked about that in his new book, and tons of people have talked about preventative medicine versus sick medicine, care medicine, emergency medicine. Great, great, great. Preventative medicine is awesome. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about past that. I'm talking about what this high performance really look like. And we don't have any clue what that looks like from a physiological perspective at this point. Um, I'm like blood work is the easiest example here in which I could give you ad nauseum examples of, but we have a good understanding of risk factors, right? But the reality of it is if you get some basic blood work done and you look at the reference range that's provided, uh, you know, pick your, your value here, doesn't matter, albumin, iron, ferritin, homocysteine, doesn't matter, right? What people don't realize is every lab that you use has their own internal reference range. They could be using Mayo Clinic, Cleveland Clinic, they could be using their own from their, et cetera. So when you're in the range or out of the range, it means nothing, right? It means nothing whatsoever because that range is a bell curve. What that bell curve means is the bottom two and a half percentile and the top two and a half percentile are outside of range. Everything else is in range. And so you might come up as in range, but you are in the 96th percentile right? Or the third percentile, and you're still in range. And that is not good, right? Now, some markers, it's not that big a deal. Uh, pH is a great example, right? Like you don't want to go high or low, and the range is very small. It's something your body regulates extremely tightly. Very, very hard to be out of range unless you really have something going on that is probably non-medical, right? A kidney dysfunction, like some actual disease state, pathology, something. Other markers like albumin, sex hormones, like these are way, way different. And, and they don't necessarily, some of them higher is better at nauseum and some of them is in like an actual range. And there's more and more data coming out of that, but you're just within that range, right? So number one, we're already looking at a thing that has been told is like you're in range. Now, secondarily- You're not that anemic, Juliet. I have like the greatest story to tell you about this, but keep going. <laughs> yeah, so here we go, right? It's like, okay, let's say blood glucose. All right, great. We don't want to be too high, too low. Most people recognize that. Diabetes is, a, most people, a normal range for blood glucose is 80 or so milligrams per deciliter, right? Over 120 is going to be technically diabetic. Depending on who you look at, 100, 120 is pre-diabetic or something, great. There is extensive evidence that shows that you start cruising past 95, retinopathy risk goes up, like all kinds of other risks go up. So like 97 is totally within your bell curve. You're not even the top or worst two percentile. And that is absolutely not a good thing. There's just no chance. We're not even talking about what should it be like for high-performance athlete yet or just a high performer, right? Somebody who just wants to crush all day, like and wants to live to 110, but they're 50 right now and they're worried. You are not in a state whatsoever if you're, you know, within outside of these ranges. 
So we have this problem. And this gold standard to me is the solution. We do not know of which ones you should really care about and which ones are actually okay to be outside the ranges. Some of them are changing quickly. Homocysteine is a great example. People are catching wind, like a reference range of 15 is still normal there, despite the fact that you absolutely want to be nowhere in the stratosphere of 15. You're talking extremely high risk of dementia. All kinds of neurological diseases start kicking off at 15. You don't want to be past 11 with homocysteine, generally. Again, you want to get a medical advice, you have a medical issue, talk to a medicine. But from a high performance perspective, like there's different answers here. So getting the gold standard out is really the true solution here. Like we have got to understand what this looks like. And the last thing I'll wrap up on this is where I think people have lost this message is it's not the athletic performance part I care about, right? I don't care about what the gold standard is for a vertical jump. Uh, Some people are 50 plus inches. That's not what I'm talking about. We're talking about what does a healthy physiology look like? That's not necessarily the same as a high performance athlete. (laughs) You know, Kelly, like sometimes very talented athletes who are highly successful aren't necessarily any healthier than you are. And so when I say gold standard, I don't mean sport performance, right? The best golfer in the world may not be healthy. Look at John Daly. Like we don't need examples there. So what we need is that gold standard of health and to be pushed forward and to figure out what are these people who are uh, like our Sweden project. You're talking about a 90 plus year old with a VO2 max of almost 40 milliliters per kilogram per minute, right? Now he was a world champion in the 1940s and 50s and like the gold medalist. Like this is what I'm talking about. I want to know what those people look like at 30 at 40, at 50, and the entire spectrum needs to be laid out. So we know this is what it looks like to be really healthy, not just handpicking out some 105-year-olds who happen to be old, but still smoke every day. Like, that didn't help much, right? Like, we need this entire thing. So all that to say, yeah, we absolutely need to continue, and I, I would be my opinion, to push the throttle as hard as possible on collecting as much physiology data as we can of really exceptional people, not just not sick yet. Love it. So quick, I have to just, this is like, I was laughing as you were talking because I have learned this reference range the real hard way in my life because I've been a lifelong gnarly anemic and I've had hematocrit, which is 34, which is below and have a physician say to me, you're not that anemic. That's a direct quote. You're not that anemic. I've had the ferritin that floats around seven to 12 most of my life. (laughs) And it wasn't until wasn't until my late 40s That's that like I actually, vegan nut loaf I finally just everybody. realized, I was like, wait, I'm a lawyer. I can read. I can understand a study. I started reading a bunch of studies and realized for athletes, of which I would include myself in that category, your ferritin needs to be above 70 to even consider having anything resembling athletic performance. And so, you know, in my own way, I started fighting back against my physicians. And, you know, I have a whole thing I'm doing now. But I mean, I really just, I had to learn that and teach myself. And I had to read the research on my own and then go in as an advocate for myself to my physicians but and you, say, hey, you're this also, reference range doesn't apply to me, you know? You also had some genetic testing. Yeah. MTHFR yeah. gene, right? You yeah. started to see, hey, I have little B vitamins. Like there started to be a sequela yeah. of behaviors that ultimately resulted in changes in those biomarkers that allowed you to perform better. Yeah, and, and, and that's now, the magic, you know, right? now I get iron transfusions four times a year. It's changed my life. But I guess my question is, you know, this blood chemistry thing I think is so important and so interesting and ultimately will be the gold standard. Where are we now? You know, if anyone's listening to this, you know, because I'll say for my own part, I actually go outside of my insurance and I two times a year get a very extensive blood panel. Um, but even after reading some of your work and listening to you on podcasts, my assumption is a lot of that is 
not great, poorly timed, not actionable, may not even be worth my while. So again, I totally get what you're talking about, what we're, you know, the moonshot, what we're hoping for, but like, where are we now? And if people are listening, like, you know, let's talk, say- Yeah, talk about your, your, your new project. Yeah, what, what can people do now or, or even ask of their own physicians? Like, where are we now and what action could we take now? Right, okay, great. So this is small and little to answer this here. Big picture wise, let me start there. And, and then I'll, I'll keep this short. But the reality of it is, here's what's going to happen, okay? Right now, there, when you want to make a, a physiological change, it's the same as engineering. You need four basic pieces, okay? Uh, basic piece number one is we need some sort of assessment, right? Collect some sort of data. Num piece number two is we may need to qualify that. Is that good, bad, terrible, et cetera? All right, great. Step number three is then we need to decide, well, then where do we need to go, right? So it needs to go up three points. It needs to be up 300 points. It needs to go down. It needs to go up, shift, work, great. Step number four is then, then how do we actually make that thing move, right? So where am I at? Is that good, bad, terrible? Where do I need to go? And then how do I get there? That's the four steps, right? Very, very basic for any problem-solving situation. The reality of it is step number one, assessment, is, is abundant right now and getting more and more abundant. The ability to get a blood draw done, to be able to uh, get a finger prick and a saliva and a test, like that stuff is extensive and those companies are exponentially growing. So your ability to get a whole genome sequenced for $400 now or $500, great. Finger stick for 80 bucks, depend all kinds of blood draw companies that'll do stuff for a couple of hundred dollars. Number two is becomes a problem. How do I know if that's good, bad, terrible? I don't know. Most companies don't know because of what we just got done talking about. And so you can get all these things done and these companies will wow you with technology and ease and convenience is the big one, right? Most of them are selling you on convenience and that's dope. Like getting blood work done now is so much easier than it's ever been our entire lives. It's awesome, actually. It's like a great experience at this point. Uh, we send like phlebotomists or nurses to people's houses or jobs or the stadiums. Like we make that part really dope on people. But if you don't know what you're looking at, you're still going to get the, you're not that anemic, Julia. That's what you're going to get, right? Because they don't know what they're looking at. They don't know. They're looking at it from a, are you at risk of cardiovascular disease 25 years? Like, right. They're looking at it as like, are you sick or not sick? Like, are you going to die tomorrow or not? Not like, can you perform well? Right. And that's their job. Like, that's totally. So step number two is a problem. Step number three, where do I go then? Is impossible because you don't know step number two. Step number four is actually pretty easy. So it's sort of funny. We're missing step number two and three because people know, like, you want to get X, you go to Y. Uh, there's all kinds of pharmacology, lifestyle interventions, et cetera, et cetera. You can get there. So the biggest gap we're having is, like, what should these things look like? And then where do I go? Where it's going to happen sooner rather than later is the digital twin is a real thing. It's going to be here. The digital twin is available already for the heart, uh, being used constantly in, in heart surgery. Digital twin for the liver and kidneys is coming soon. Hold wait, up, hold wait, up. Wait, can you explain for everyone yeah. else what a digital what twin is? What is the digital twin? I got you. The digital twin for movement is sound. There are now force plates that can go directly into your shoes. Uh, you can just wear them there instead of having to step on platforms. There are uh, markerless motion capture, full kinetics and kinematics in real time. I'm going to translate all this in a second, right? Point is, I can take your physical movement, put it on camera, digitize it, and make a digital copy of you. Now, digital twin has been around since NASA in the 60s. Uh, you guys saw the movie. They went up to Apollo... 11, that Apollo 11, whatever, 13, where they went up and then they had all the problems on um, the moon. And then what they had to do is come back down to earth. And then they had to re-engineer the spaceship down here, run it through a bunch of different things to see which one was going to work, figure out what's going to work, send it back up to Tom Hanks. They did it and saved it. Since then, NASA, and like in real life when that happened, they're like, we have to come up with digital twins, which means we have to make everything digitally first, run it through thousands of simulations, figure out breakpoints before we ever actually 
put it into a real piece of hardware. Great. Manufacturing, the table you guys are sitting on, the computers you're on, the house you're built, all of these have been run through digital twins. Guaranteed. They've been engineered. They run digital twins and they can run endless simulations, figure out how to optimize, do things like it's all, everything is built like that in manufacturing. That is now coming online for human performance. The digital twin for the immune system in 2016 got started. That's coming, but that is incredibly hard because the immune system is the only system in your body that can't be pulled out. It's everywhere. This is also why blood chemistry is so dope. Blood chemistry is the only metric you can get, unlike stool samples or saliva or your genes, that touches every single organ that has blood, which is all of them, right? So you, you can get a marker of every single organ. And so being able to take an image of like your heart, make a digital twin of it, run a whole bunch of different simulations of uh, what type of surgery should we do? Where should we place the stent? Where should we do whatever? This is what they do. Figure out this is going to be the most likely to succeed, then go in and actually execute that one. Remember this earlier when we're talking about like trial and error, I don't have six weeks, et cetera. That stuff is just not going to be relevant much longer because you're not going to have to. Once we can actually take your physiology, make a digital twin of that, replicate it, run millions of experiments in seconds on it and come back and say, you need to take A, B, and C and nothing else. And this is going to give you your best outcomes, no side effects, et cetera. We're not there yet, but we are for individual organs like the heart. Um, the brain is coming. There's three companies that are going big into the, replicating the brain. We don't have any clue how the brain works in terms of like the hard and soft problem of consciousness, but physical structure wise, it's getting really close, right? So we know like what the physical structure is. Again, if you have a lesion or something like that needs to be operated on. So in the future, we're going to be able to take you, we're going to be able to do things like continuous uh, data collection. So instead of getting a blood draw done every quarter, um, why not put a small pod in your toilet where we can collect your urine and stool every single day and that is automatically uploaded. Those are actually available. Um, those are things that are around, right? We can get blood draw from a finger tip. We can get saliva every single day and we're going to skip past all that and we're going to have very easy to implement electrodes, right? Uh, imagine a CGM, but a CGM, a continuous glucose monitor that you can put on your arm and get, and now you can get everything. Now you can get full, um, there are lenses actually for your eyeballs that can do lactate and glucose from your tears. Like these are all technologies that are available in some form or fashion. Doesn't mean they're all good or useful, but like they're not these giant grandiose problems really anymore. I told you, step number one is easy. Getting assessment, getting data is very easy and exploding. The problem is still going to be step two and three. What does that mean? Is that good, bad, or terrible? There are already, with our pro athletes, some of them, we're able to actually take blood um, every day, and we can actually plot out like in the NFL. We can take it on Monday. So they play on Sundays. Take it Monday. Uh, we can look at a handful. You're talking six to 12 inflammatory markers. Take it again on Thursday and see what their slope is recovery. That'll actually determine whether or not they could Friday practice off or not based on their own individual recovery, how close they are back down to baseline, things like that. So we can add biomarkers and get real high precision stuff going on there. Once that gets better and gets condensed and we're able to actually, I don't want to be sensitive to your local area, but like something like a Theranos actually becomes kind of close and not just like a giant fraud. It's going to be there. We're never going to get a thousand markers on a blood drop. We're never going to get a hundred, but we're going to be able to get something closer to that. And so being able to do that to wrap up my point here, and then collect all those data. How are you moving throughout the day? What's your actual urine? What's your blood? What's your perception? How do you feel? All that stuff. And then throw that into a digital system, make a digital twin of you. Now I can run infinite experiments on anything. And here's the fun part. I can do combinations. It's still a science experiment. 
Give me A, B, and C. Give me A, B, and C plus D. Give me, give me this breathwork protocol. Give me this supplement and give me this stretching routine. Great. Give me this sunlight. Give me this wavelength. And because you, you can run millions of these, and then you still have there's all kinds of problems here. I know I'm going long here, but you still have to understand what Tetel to optimize for. AI is never going to be smarter. It's only as good as the question you ask it. You have to still then tell like, what am I optimizing for? You can't optimize for as many things as you think. I want to optimize to feel better. Well, feeling better is not necessarily what you think feeling better means. <laughs> I want to optimize to live longer. Eh, like, Do you? Yeah, are you sure about that? Yeah, so there's problems there, but all that is coming on the point. So like the long answer, guys, is like, that is going to be our very real solution. All this bullshit goes away. I don't need to know op- optimal ranges, all those things, because I don't, I'm not so worried about getting a single blood draw because I'm going to be able to repeat these things over and over and over and get a baseline and get a passport for my physiology and figure out simulation-wise what actually works. I still then got to know how do I solve the problem, step four, and then I got to go you know, do the work. That part. I just saw... You can't just inject the work into your body somehow. I I think that's what we'd like to happen. (laughs) Well, you can. Some of them. I just saw... I don't know if it was Steve Magnus who put out in the last six months or so. Basically, they're able to demonstrate sort of if you had the potential to be an international footballer in soccer just based on heart rate variability. Like you probably can be a national team kid. This is a pattern. So we're already being able to start to select based on some information. So, I mean, you're bringing up really interesting things here about, you know, A, recovery, but also just genetic potential to, for selection for why people may go further. I mean, that's that's bananas. Well, we, we can do a lot more with HRV than that already. A lot more. There's tons of stuff. So you can imagine something, let's say, you can take the sport perspective of it. Let's go the other direction. Imagine if you have an alert sent to your physician that says, hey, Kelly's gate's been off for three months now. He's showing 2% deviations in in uh, the height elevation and amplitude of his feet when he's walking around the house. Go get him checked. He might have early Parkinson's. That will happen years before you would have any physiological perceptive signs of change. And all you had to do is wear your shoes because we put that in to your soles. Again, these are available technologies right now that can be done. We can grab all that stuff. You want to put that on the football field and you want to see you know, somebody's potential to be something great. We can actually, right now, digital twins are available for human performance, another place actually local to you guys, uh, just down the street. If you have all your training logs and all your stuff, you can throw that in their stuff and they're going to be able to predict what you would run. You pick your domain. Like, I want to know what I would run a month from now, two months from now, three months from now, four months from now, et cetera. And they're going to be able to give you almost exact. Now, I can already do this with one of my baseball players. We actually were able to do this for a number of years. I can tell within a half mile per hour what he's going to throw for the day uh, based on his morning testing. I know exactly what he's going to throw, right? There's actually, I was sitting with his parents one time in a game and uh, his mom was like, hey, uh, like, you know, how's he looking today? And it was not a good day. So I did the old like, ah, it's great weather out here, huh? And his, his, like, his dad like gave me the look and I was like, yeah, it's going to be like, we're going to have to win other ways today because it ain't going to be today. So we can get all that stuff predicted and you can also make it even cooler. You can get a private personal coach simulated in the way you want. And so if you ran in and did this and said, hey, I want Kelly to coach me, great. They can run a, a, an AI Kelly and basically get a program that you look at and be like, damn, that is like exactly 
Lisa looks green. Just the idea yeah, of an Kelly's AI like, Kelly. God, Lisa's no, please, like, anything but an AI Kelly. Like, please, I hear well, his voice often enough. What'd you say? And AI okay. Kelly. Can you imagine how many AI oh Kellys there could be? Okay, okay. So I want to just, this is fascinating in the future. And it's like, all I can think about as you're talking about this is like, I hope I'm still alive to witness all this because it's And, and let, so let me just cool. jump in and say that. I'm talking about like next year. Yeah. Yeah. We it's still cool. don't have fundamental data about the number of, yards or meters an athlete travels in a game like there's some real fundamentals yeah, right, that right. we still i mean it's shocking the sort of holes in our data set so just putting that out to everyone it's cool let me answer real quick what you can do right now i don't want to skip that part right because that was like my i told you i'd be short and i was definitely not short on that at all so the the only issue you have right now Again, if you think it's anything related to medical, you want longevity. There's so many longevity clinics coming on board. This is the next big thing. Everybody in the world is investing in this, in preventative medicine, in personalized medicine, and all these things. So wherever you live, there are going to be solutions coming on board. I don't know anybody who has a data set like ours on high-performance athletes. I don't know. I'm not trying to like pitch you guys or like sound great, but like the reality of it is we have thousands of high-performing athletes, men and women across ages, different sports. Uh, And so everything we have is based on that metric. And so we actually have something coming out in January, which the world doesn't know about, they're about to though, um, which allows folks to get this stuff done and viewed from the perspective of high performance. So there is no medical stuff here and um, simple blood draw. It's a pretty comprehensive you can actually get this taken uh, looked at based on high performance and then it will come with a high precision micronutrient-based nutrition protocol as well as specific supplementation um, for solutions. Can I give you my credit card and, through the microphone? Yeah, and, How do I do that? Um, How do I... And just to name it, this is rapid health optimization, right? That's not rapid. That's not it. Okay, what is the name of this program? This is actually called Vitality. So what this was is this is our consumer-grade version of rapid is our high-performance program. So if you wanted to do the kind of stuff I was mentioning, like you want everything, you want stool, urine, saliva, you want full environmental analysis, you want the world's best, most advanced sleep optimization stuff, which we haven't even got into yet. You want ongoing coaching and support, like you want to work with me directly, things like that. That's the high price, just to be candid, very high ticket, like kind of performance thing. Um, and that's already sold out. That's rapid. Okay. The rest of this year and into, into next year. And so the other one, though, is automated and infinitely scalable. So we're trying to make something that is not nearly as comprehensive, no ongoing coaching, et cetera, but allows people, because I've had so many messages over the years of like, hey, will you take a look at, can you get Dan Garner to take a look at my stuff? Because like, like, I can't like, and so we just had to start charging numbers. And I'm like, all right, I, I can't do this to people anymore. This is like absurd what I'm asking someone to give me to look at their blood or to have Dan look at it more specifically. Uh, and so we put Dan's brain into um, software and, and now that's going to be publicly available. So it is, again, it is not medicine. It is not like if you want to know your APOEB risk and cholesterol, I, we don't even look at that stuff. But if you want to know like high performance stuff, this is where we cover. That's available. It's ready now, but it'll come out officially in January. Uh, I might be able to get um, a couple of you oh, listeners, maybe a little bit earlier, maybe a couple of, of you or something. A couple of these two listeners. You Dude, know, I want to cool. be the greatest middle-aged mountain biker in my neighborhood. Yeah, exactly. I want to slay yeah, I mean, the other goal. 50-year-old dudes. Like, and that's valid. And, you know, again, props to you for trying to, you know, make it accessible because that's sort of our own personal mission these days is 
democratize. Not, we, we don't want to be the private jet of health and wellness and longevity. We want to be like the Yugo of health, wellness, and longevity. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Toyota. Maybe not a Yugo, Toyota. but like a Toyota, Toyota Tundra, Matrix. A Tundra. Toyota Matrix. I'll be totally candid with you guys. Like the only way for us to work with folks has been to be able to have that that Ferrari system, right? And that's what Rapid gave us, right? And that's going to be there. But the candid answer is that is what allows us to do these other things. High performance informs our best decisions because speed and pressure are our best test environments. So many times we see, I'm like, hey, what you're saying holds true at low speed, low risk, low load, low duration. I mean, it really is true. Okay, so I I wanna, I'm kicking him under the table because I think of this in chapters and I cannot miss this chapter with you while we are lucky enough to have you on the podcast, given that you are a muscle physiologist. And the context I'll give you is, I feel like muscle is having a moment. A lot of people are talking about the importance of muscle, the specific importance of muscle for longevity. And what I can tell you is, A lot of those people, in my opinion, are still speaking into an echo chamber when we're talking about the general public and we're especially talking about women and when we're especially talking about women in my demographic, which is 40 and 50 and up. So for all those people out there, you know, the influencers who think they're like, yeah, we've gotten the message out, like muscle's important. It's not working yet. Um, You know, I'm friends with a lot of the people out there who still aren't buying it and still think cardio's king and calorie restriction is king. So I can't let you leave this podcast without giving us a mini, I realize you teach entire courses at a university about this topic, but I would love it if you could give us your best Reader's Digest version of why muscle is awesome, why it's specifically awesome for longevity. And I also know you just published a, like just within the last week or so, you published a study on the relationship between leg strength and cognitive function. So that was like a nine-part question. And again, I know that could be a whole entire semester-long class in and of itself. And you're not just rationalizing jacked arms, right? No, but I'm just saying, you know, like I feel like in my own little micro way, I'm trying to say like lift weights need muscle. Women in particular, you definitely need muscle. And I think the needle is moving a bit, but it's still... I'm not sure cardio weights is really what we're doing. You know, why do we care about muscle? Why is it so important for longevity? and a thousand other things. I feel like you guys have had a, a secret camera in my office the last two months because you guys are just, <laughs> it's like teeing me up for some, like all kinds of stuff right now. Okay, you know how you were saying earlier how you had uh, realized maybe some genetic work for your MTH, uh, FR gene and your folate problems and stuff. I didn't have the gene encoded in me to do Reader's Digest, so I'm just going to throw that out there. You ask for Reader's Digest, I don't have that gene. Yes, it's... And also, I just totally aged myself because I don't think anyone under the age of 50 knows even what Reader's Digest even is. So, hey, I'm 32 and I still got it. That's okay. Okay. All right. So, I'm not giving you the Reader's Digest version. I'm giving you a long version. A handful of uh, many things to say here. Number one, muscle's my jam. So, you're really going to get me fired up here. You want the short version? Grab Peter Atia's book, Outlive. Grab Gabrielle Lyon's book, Forever Strong. That just came out. It's actually, she texted me this morning. I think she's number three on the New York Times list right now or something like that. She has a, a wonderful term she calls muscle-centric medicine. So she's an actual doctor, like muscle-centric, and it has a lot of this stuff in there. That said, I have something coming out that you will hopefully all see pretty soon. And the very first segment of that is going to be called Muscle for the Masses. And there's a lot of stuff that people are not, they don't realize about muscle. One of them, many of them are covered in the general vernacular such that 
people oftentimes don't realize that skeletal muscle is the primary place that you hold and therefore regulate blood glucose. And so total caloric expenditure, blood glucose regulation, people that are interested in wearing the CGM and things like that, skeletal muscle is the primary place that you're going to regulate all that stuff, number one. Number two, um, besides and potentially your brain at different times. It's the most metab metabolically active organ system. It's your biggest organ system. But if you're ever to go on Jeopardy and they ask you like, what's the biggest organ? And people always want to say skin. It's definitely by a mile, by a country mile, skeletal muscle. So it's the biggest component you've got there. It is also the primary way in which you interface with the world. So you need to grab something, move something, keep something away. You need to locomote and move and walk. This is all skeletal muscle driven. The brain sends signals, but nothing is executable without skeletal muscle. If you want to look at the risk of all-cause mortality, pick your metric there, wellness span, health span, et cetera. Uh, being under-muscled is a problem. I could go on and on and on. That's the stuff many people have heard. Let's talk about some more interesting things that folks maybe are not aware of. Okay, number one, we actually have something coming up. I'm going to break another exclusive for you guys here. I swear, like these are super exclusives. That's two already. Here's the third one. So trust me here. I'm not going to forget my point. I'm totally step back for a second here. We're totally with you. We're totally with you. When we were talking earlier about reference ranges, um, let me give you another example why these are problems. Almost all of these reference ranges for blood work uh, and anything else are built on databases from major studies that are really awesome, right? So these are 20,000 people in a study group, 60,000, 400,000 people in studies. And what they typically do are things like this. So our government and many others across the world sponsor big programs yearly where they get thousands of participants to come in. They do a battery of screening and then they all get thrown into a big database and it's open access. And so the whole point is like, hey, any scientist can go in there and data mine, right? What's the relationship between people that had skin infections and smoking? Like, ah, no, nothing there. Maybe you just like you see, because you have big databases. This is how you can do a 30 year study on 300,000 people. It's just programs like this, right? So these are incredibly valuable programs. The reality of it is most of them though are used for our databases. And the overwhelming majority of people who go into clinics like that, well, you guessed it. They're not going into a clinic because they're feeling amazing. And so you've automatically gotten skewed to a suboptimal slash very sick population. And with the paper you just mentioned, this was actually led by, um, I don't know, do you guys know Tommy Wood at the University of Washington? No. We don't. Oh my God, I got to introduce you guys are going to love Tommy. So Tommy is a technically a neuroscientist, MD, PhD, runs a neuroscience lab at, at the University of Washington, but it's just a super nerd. Runs all the, the performance and stuff for McLaren F1, Formula One, and, and just all kinds of stuff. Uh, like a mildly crappy strongman competitor, but you know, we'll call him an athlete. Uh, annoying, strong and smart. Yeah. Yeah. So he and I worked on this project. This was his project, so I make sure he needs to get the full credit for that. But he basically said, what if we go into NHANES, this uh, national database here? And the reason we're doing this is because there's a narrative out there about muscle and health. And it's very clear that if you are under-muscled, that this is deleterious for your long-term health. And if you add more muscle, your risk of dying goes down. Like, don't you have any proofs? However, if you look at much of the research, it's going to show you there's an this is actually an inverted U, such that if you have too much muscle, this starts to hurt how long you're going to live. So mortality goes up. And I think it's utter garbage. I think it's total nonsense. And Tommy was like, this, there's no way here. Something weird is happening with these data. And you'll see this too jacked. Too jacked, too tan. There's no way. What's Mark say? Like That's what I was just going to say. I was like, what Mark Bell would have something strength to say Strength is never weakness. Weakness is never strength. Right. Now, we can tease apart strength from total muscle mass 
just since we're here, strength is more important than muscle mass for longevity. Better to be strong. That's more important. But nonetheless, still high association there. So we went into this database and said, all right, what's going on with these people? And the reality of it is, this is going to stun you. We found zero relationship whatsoever between the amount of muscle mass on these people and their physical activity patterns. So I'll say that one more time. Zero relationship between how much muscle they have and their physical activity, which tells you what about how they got their muscle mass. It was not from physical activity. They accrued their muscle mass from not lifting weights, from being generally larger people, right? So what do we know about people who are generally larger and mortality? Well, you guys can fill in the blank there, right? And so once we teased that out and found like almost a zero association between those two things, it's like, okay, great. When you're seeing these people that have more muscle and that you think that means they have a higher risk of mortality, what you're simply seeing are people who have accrued more muscle from non-exercise habits, i.e. being bigger, being other things, having more fat mass, you're going to pack some muscle along with that, being generally bigger, et cetera. And that's what's explaining it. There's zero credit to the muscle mass. Gets even better. We did find a very strong association, and we believe this is the first to really show this potentially causal link between leg, specifically strength, and cognitive function. Um, think of this as like a, a, an IQ test, memory test, things like that. And now, now this actually, these are correlations, but there is rationale here, a strong rationale. Um, Tommy and I did an entire Instagram live on this, put it up on YouTube as well, if, if anyone wants to like hear the whole details here. But there's, there's a strong potential relationship here because of mechanism of why actually getting your legs stronger specifically is likely to enhance your cognitive function as you age. And so that's not a random association. Um, there is a, a direct link there. I can add on to that more because when you look at some of the more recent papers that have come out on grip strength, one just came out recently, and people will love to throw grip strength under the table. They'll say, oh, it's people who are just healthier, are probably stronger, like, like all these associate, absolute total garbage, right? There's an actual direct causal link here. We know this because I'm very confident in that, I'll say. I don't know this, but we're very confident in this because if you look at the asymmetry between hands, if that's more than 10%, your risk of neurological issues starts going up. And so you not only are, should be worried about being weak in your grip, again, your grip is the way you interface with the world, specifically. Your legs move you, but this is how you interact with the world. This is very important indirectly, but directly it's important because weak leads to not doing activities. Asymmetry is potentially a sign of denervation happening in a large number of pathways. And so Far from conclusive, not saying that if you have asymmetry, you have Parkinson's like or anywhere close to that. But if you have more than 10% asymmetry between grip strength, this is, and you're over the age of 60, especially, this is something you should really be paying attention to is potentially a sign of saying, we're losing the ability to use the musculature in this side. Now, this is not just a causal or not just a correlation relationship here. This, there's something happening here, which means then going the reverse and training it is very likely, potentially, to actually have an upstream benefit on cognitive function. So it's not just about how you look. It's not just about re regulating your metabolism or anything like that. The act of strength training very specifically has huge overall brain as well as cognitive. So how your, your brain health, physical health, the functionality of it are gonna be directly linked to the interface of the challenge of training, uh, specifically strength training. Doesn't mean you can't get that from your steady state or intervals or anything else as well, but not to the same level. Last thing I'll say about this is, you wanna tie this in a boat. Tommy published a wonderful review paper a couple of years ago, looking at Parkinson's, dementia, 
and then overall Alzheimer's. And what's clear is like, if you have bad luck and you get, um, to break those down really quickly, Parkinson's generally is like a physical symptoms, right? So can't control your hand, things like that. Alzheimer's is more generally like brain memory and stuff like that. Dementia is, you know, dementia. If you get early onset genetics, bad drill, it's just nothing. You get Parkinson's, you get Alzheimer's when you're 35 years old. That's just Michael J. Fox. Yeah, I'm sorry. Like you're, yeah, nothing there. But late onset and dementia is heavily preventable. And the data Tommy has been able to publish um, is very convincing of that. And he was able to outline about seven different specific criteria that can, you don't want to say prevent because you can't ever stop those things, but can significantly delay those onset. A number of them, now tell me if these resonate. I don't know if you guys ever talked about these things. Um, being out in nature, social connection, proprioception, smell, hear, and sight changing, all these connected, uh, learning music and or language. And there's a couple more other ones, but those are like the magic seven that you need to do. Strength training, of course, being one of the other ones. You do those things and you are stacking things in the highest direction possible uh, to stave off some of those things. So when we start talking about muscle, Julie, it's like, it's not like, it's not what people think it is. It is not just like a rough association here. It is so insanely uh, beneficial, one such that you could argue pretty cogently that there's just not a better thing to focus on for your overall health and wellness uh, for the average person. You could make a couple of other arguments that maybe get you close, but but not many, and you might not win them. Hey, Ready State listeners, if you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes to help others find our show. This episode of the Ready State podcast is brought to you by Momentus. My new favorite thing. I'm always This is tinkering. like the Kelly stack. This is, you this, have multiple stacks, but I, this, this is this your is, latest This stack. is working really well for me. Before we go ride or exercise, I know I've got to get the creatine in the system for the brain, for everything else. I also want to put the collagen in the system before I go load and use it. And I think that's a crucial aspect. Like you're like, I hope this collagen goes somewhere. You have to load your body. Well, a stack has three things. What's the third thing? Vital aminos. So I'm getting these essential aminos, which are tasty. And I just mix it all together in this little mashup. And I chug that thing. And then I go shred. It doesn't mess with my stomach. I've got my aminos covered. So I'm not going to like just strip down my quads to feed my quads. It's super sweet. <laughs> but then I've got the collagen and the creatine on board. I'm telling you, this solved so many problems for me. You're such a nerd. Hey, shh. The other thing I'd like to say, though, is that you're also getting like quite a bit of water on board, too, which left oh, to your whoa, own whoa, devices. Whoa, whoa, I'm just saying, Making left to your personal. own devices, you probably would just have some espresso. No, no. And then go train. Americano. Americano. I would get more water in. So, you know, yeah. you're getting all this vital stuff and you're getting like, quite a bit of water in addition to yeah. that. And I think it's that, that this, combo is this amazing. This triple hit. It's the hat trick of performance. There it is. There it is. You're welcome. The Kelly Starrett hat trick. To go learn more about the hat trick of performance for yourself, go to livemomentous.com slash TRS and use code TRS for 20% off your first purchase. This episode of the Ready State Podcast is brought to you by Yeti and specifically the Yonder Bottle. Look, we are moving into the season where you are thanking Co-workers. Gifting things. You're gifting things. We're showing gratitude. Let me solve this problem for you. Get the person in your life for whom you're looking for a reasonable present or a stocking stuffer for your kids who are elite drinkers and need an indestructible bottle. Get them a yonder bottle. Yeah. And it has all these other like options you can add, like the tether cap, which is cool. So you you could, if someone you know already has a yonder bottle, you can just put a tether cap inside their stocking. But man, this thing is a great gift. It does not leak. It is light and easy to carry on travel. You know what's sneaky about it? This is what's sneaky about it. You give someone this, 
it'll be around forever. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're like, hey, thanks for this. Every time I drink from this, I see your face, Juliet, which, you know, for me is is great. Yeah, so if you're looking for a dope holiday gift dope. or stocking stuffer, go to thereadystate.com slash Yeti and learn more about the Yonder Bottle. It's a Yonder Bar. You know, it seems like you said that there are the three things, one of the people, most people care about, and one of them being how you look. And I think what we're struggling with and, and what I'm trying to sort of like educate about in my own little mini way for women in particular is there is a mismatch right now between the desired way women want to look and strength training. And and at least in my generation, I'm talking 40, 50, you know, people- Brett Contreras isn't very popular in your generation? Yeah. At least in my generation, skinny is in still, you know, if you're a 50 year old mom, you want to be skinny. I think it is a bit different with like Gen Z and millennials. I think more of them are interested in and focus on strength training and, and I hope that changes. But I do, I think there's just a bit of a mismatch right now and that's why it's been hard to, you know, like like I sometimes think I'm the worst advocate for telling women to lift weights because I, I really honestly believe a lot of women look at me and be like, yeah, great. Okay, I can understand what you're saying, but I don't want to look like you. That's a stopping. And then before we <laughs> move on from this muscle thing, the muscle chapter of this podcast, the other sort of area that Kelly and I are specifically interested in is youth athletes, especially because we have a kid who's a high-level athlete. And is there anything you can speak to that you're fired up about, think about, would be a consideration for parents when it comes to muscle and strength training for kids? Because that's a subject oh, yeah, dear to our hearts. All the things you're talking about, I'm like, it's, it's too late for you and me, Julia, yeah, but not too late for, for, yeah, for Caroline Starrett. We're going to just <laughs> grind her through the uh, system. Yeah. So to finish on your previous point there, I can't speak to anybody else's psychology, and I certainly can't speak to female psychology and, and what they want or don't want. What I can say, this is the argument I'd make maybe. All right, you you want to value a, a certain way of looking. Like, great. All of us differ in our opinion of what that looks like. Can we settle on this though? Can we agree here? Um, actually, I remember, I, I use this one all the time, Kelly. You were at XPT one time, I think we are in Malibu, and uh, you were talking about some sort of glute sequence, and you're like, oh, I want to contract it at I don't know, you said 30% or something like that. And somebody asked a question, they're like, uh, you know, what if I can't do that? And you're like, give me 20. And he's like, ah, oh, and you're like, can you give me 15? <laughs> you're like, your point was like, I don't want it on all the way, but just like some baseline. And he was just like so specific about the number. And you're like, give me 15. <laughs> you're like, just a little sum of something. Some for a few. Yeah. It's just like, give me nothing dead here. So I use this all the time. Okay. And it's like, okay, great. So you don't want to look like that. Great. Can you give me 15? What do you mean? Can you give me strong? Give me strong. Get strong as shit. Let's get strong as shit. And I don't care. Let's get as strong as you possibly can. If you move well and you're strong and powerful, then I'll negotiate. You can have your 85% what you look like. I don't care. My 15 though is you need to perform because there's no argument around that. Again, if you look at the research on muscle mass versus strength, it's not close. Strength is far more important. Total power production and output, more important. How you move through the world, your balance, proprioception, be able to foot speed. This stuff matters exponentially more, especially past age 60, 65. We also know that these things are going to decline as you age, period. So if you are 40 and you don't care about 65, you're going to real soon. Right? That window is going to come up fast. So you better stack as high as you can. So when that fall happens, which you can't really prevent on most of you get there. So that would be my, my 15. It's like, okay, fine. Look however you want. I don't really care. I like that as a strategy. Let me double click on that because one of the things that I drives me crazy is there seems to be penchant in the world for penchant. Penchant for people being like, hey, I can just put this cuff on and do this occlusion thing for five minutes and just boost the physiology and gain muscle. And that doesn't necessarily always translate to improved strength, improved coordination, improved adaptability. 
it's like where we've stripped out as long as everyone just gets big muscles. I'm like, you get steroids, you get steroids, you get steroids. We just gave you big quads and that's good enough. And I don't think that's what you're saying at all. No, I mean, I'm smirking here because obviously you and I see the world pretty similarly on this point. Remember earlier when I said one, two, three, and four, you got to really understand where we're going. What are we trying to get to here? Are you sure we're aimed at the right target? And if you've lost the thing here, it's like Kenny and I used to always say, like the thing becomes a thing, right? And it's like, okay, great. We can help this happen. Fine. But now all we've really done in this particular case is added muscle mass. Are we sure that's the only thing we wanted? Sometimes that is the answer, right? Like, like in your world, in ours, when we're dealing with guys that are torn Achilles and we're trying to come back earlier than the rest of the world has seen things like that, BFR has a real place, no question. Folks who have joint issues, other, other practical scenarios. But to me, we have to acknowledge this is less than 100. We've given something up. Let's not be fooled. If that's the equation, we've run the calculus, we've decided to go there, fine, we can make arguments, but let's not be fooled that this is the same thing. Because if we look at look, feel, perform, we've only checked off one of those boxes. Again, to to all your stuff, not to blow you guys up, but the reality of it is like, as you've been screaming for 15 plus years, if you don't move, this is first, like first principles, not very many, you have to move well, period, like full stop. Yeah, I and, think that's really where we are. I mean, we're always like, what are we even talking about? And the only things that we've ever yeah. been able to measure in our world is range of motion and biomotor output. That's where we hang our hat. Like, did you go faster? Did you handle higher volumes? Were you stronger? You know, and could you express what your body is supposed to be able to do? Everything else is sort of not in our wheelhouse. Here, let's run this experiment. Pick a random 22-year-old out and ask them, would they exchange 15% more muscle mass for 15% less joint pain? Every one of those is picking muscle mass. Now ask that to a 52-year-old. <laughs> ask that to a 52-year-old. Every single one go, if you could help my shoulder from not hurting as much, like they all take that, right? I'm telling you right now in rapid, like just almost every single person comes in with something hurts, right? One of the reasons they shell out this just, you know, <laughs> large amount of money is like something hurts and they want that thing to go away. Great. So the non-negotiable, look at Peter's book, like just don't get hurt. Like strategy number one, don't get hurt. But Brian Johnson's doing a blueprint. <laughs> don't get hurt. Don't get hurt, right? Like so many of our clients start phase one is un, like unbreaking you. I use a different word with an F in there, but like, <laughs> like <laughs> let's get you on, you know, like we have to start there because this is no longer the six-week game. One of the things that we're big at in, in all of our companies and all the way I work, I'm not super interested. I, I talked about this at the beginning of the chat here. Like I'm a first principles I'm, I'm like, I want to know the core truth here, right? I don't care about solving your symptom per se. I mean, we'll do that. Like sometimes you have to get there and all that. This is the parlor trick, right? I rub your hamstring right now, pain goes, okay, great. Now can we use that to then do the thing we need to do to fix it? Great. So symptom management is like a total part of coaching. We'll do that. But here's the reality. Like I want you in a position to where I'm not just giving you like six week or eight week or 16 week physique transformation. Like you don't see, we don't post any of those. We never post like, look at our client pre I don't care at all. In fact, many of our clients come in and they say, yo, like I want to gain muscle, lose fat or whatever. And I tell them, no, like you're going to leave here in six weeks and we're not going to make a single or six months rather. And you're not going to make a single change in your body composition. You haven't earned it. We have these other things we have to do to get there because I'm interested in the 60 year journey here. And right now we have got to do this, 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 and this so that you can go on your weight loss journey for the next three years, not have any more breaks not miss big chunks of training because that's what's going to tell me your three to five year physique fix, right? Not just like I could throw you on a diet and get pre-posted. That's great. 
And so we really do a, a huge emphasis. It's probably one of the reasons I like that question geared me up so much is because we deal with it so much. I'm like, no, no, we're stepping back. Like you're 38 years old. You sold a company already. You, you cannot be in this much pain. Like we can't do this. Like we've got to come back and stop here. Like you have $60 million. What I've told women forever at the gym, right? The women who come to the gym be like, hey, I don't want to get big and bulky. I'm like, great. Let's start getting strong. Yeah, we'll talk we, to you. When you start to get too bulky, let me know. You can have that month for free. Well, <laughs> and you know, I mean, you're speaking our language, right? Because, you know, when we reduce what we do to just like encouraging people to stretch more, we have struggled. It is a struggle fest to get people to care a little bit about like doing some like love and maintenance to the carcass. They m primarily come and work with us, especially people who want to, you know, do high level work with Kelly directly and, you know, likewise pay a lot of money to get his, you know, individual time and attention. You know, those people have not done the work up front and not kept an eye on the carcass. You know, now exactly, they're the 38-year-old who sold a company and are trying to undo all that. And, you know, we can scream to the hills, which we've been doing for 20 years, like, hey, just do a little bit of this pre-maintenance and care a little bit about your mechanics. And then maybe you won't have to, you know, sign up with Andy and undo all this, right? You know, but it's a hard sell, right? I mean, it's something about the way our brains are wired. Okay, so I want to redirect you back before I lose my chance because I do also want to get to my Instagram questions, our Instagram questions, and I have missing 100 questions I wanted to ask you. But what are your thoughts on kids, muscle mass, strength training, because that's so near and dear to our own hearts? Yeah, you know, I don't have a, a ton of academic or professional or personal expertise in this one. So I'm going to largely pass on this one. My kids are three and five. So right now, I'm just trying to get my daughter to like actually not sit down and lay on the ground during soccer practice. This is pretty much all she does. So the extent of my knowledge in this area is like, <laughs> Tatiana, stop laying down in the middle of the game. Like, stop. I mean, I can speak very quickly. The research is clear in a couple of areas. Uh, this is a huge advantage for kids throughout life. You can look at people's health overall throughout life and, and childhood physical activity will predict a lot of it. So it's, it's a great thing. You also want to be very well-rounded. Uh, specialization is a largely a no-no. Um, as much as one can be possible. And any other metric you want to pick, plyometrics, fantastic for kids. Of course, volume, quality has to be moderated and all that stuff. Um, but there are other people who can probably speak more appropriately on this one. So uh, I, if there's any like short questions I can say, but in, in general, obviously I support it and uh, get there. You're a fan. I wouldn't necessarily think that you need to take your 13-year-old and, and get extensive blood work done. I can't really make that argument. Honestly, don't even know what blood work should be for a 14 year old. Like, I, I don't even know. I wouldn't recommend that necessarily. Probably the bigger issue is you want them sleeping more than what I assume most teenagers are sleeping. Yeah, exactly. At the same token, I don't know. Like, I guess being a teenage parent to teenager is probably not so easy. So I don't know. I don't coach those people and I don't, I don't do this. I don't know. I will see. You, you'll you'll see. see. You'll see. But it's also awesome. I have to say I'm a huge fan of teenagers. Okay, before we move on to some Instagram questions, though, because I think this will be really relevant to our listeners. You know, I think it's amazing that there has been this what I see in the last, you know, three to five years is this trend in our industry generally about focusing more on the science and and on longevity in particular. My concern a little bit is that people's to do list, their listicle continues to get longer and longer and longer. And for those of us who nerd out on this stuff, it's like, great, one more thing. We can always add that. We can always add the next supplement. We can add the next habit and practice and morning routine, you name it. But, you know, most people not only don't have the time, they don't have the will or the interest. And you have this thing you call the quadrant, which I was hoping you could explain to our listeners, because I think 
everybody's got their advice. We have our book, Built to Move. There's Atia, there's, you know, Gabrielle. Everybody's got a thousand pieces of advice. There it is. Yeah, look at that. It's right, it's right there in the premier spot too, by the way, you notice. Thank you. You know, we are all out here advising people on what we think is the most, you know, the most important things to do. And we're all really trying hard to make sure that that's science and evidence-based. But no matter what, people still have to figure out a way to choose what's a priority for them in their life. And I do think your quadrant concept is really important. So if you could explain that to people, I think it's really helpful and valuable. Absolutely. Number one, the, the quadrant is a Kenny Kane special. This was stole directly from Kenny. He taught it to me. Shout out, Kenny Kane. Put it out there. Oak Park, Southern California, Santa Monica, I think, area. Phenomenal. Uh, I'm not going to find him on Instagram or anything like that, but you'll find him in person. So go check Kenny out. Th- this is so beautiful. When he, when he taught me this, I was like, Kenny, this is like, you have, you have no idea how good this is. <laughs> and I'm, I'm glad I can put it out the world because he never did. But it's basically this. You can have your own version of this. I'll share you one version, but please, you need to make this your own. This is the real key to this. It only matters when it's yours. You can split everything in your life up into four basic areas, right? And then we're going to give you 10 points uh, to allocate across these four. 10 total, not 10 each square, 10 total. And these are the following. Uh, Number one is, what is your physical practice? You call this whatever you want, your exercise, your workout routine, your I don't care. What is your physical practice? Great. Number two, what is your recovery? For whatever recovery means to you, maybe this is watching a movie, maybe this is going out with friends, maybe this is your mobility routine, maybe this is sauna, I don't care. What recovers you? And and when I'm saying that, I don't mean physically, I mean mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Anything that you feel like needs to be in your category is in your recovery category. The third one is, we'll just call it business. This is your profession, this is your other stuff, how you make money, anything else you need to go into business goes into business. And the fourth one is your relationships. Again, whatever this means to you. It could be family, it could be friends, it could be social, it could be people you don't even know, people you game with online. It doesn't matter. What do these relationships look like? And so one of the activities we put all of our people through is, okay, show me where your 10 are. So you get to take 10 total points. How many go into physical practice? How many go into recovery? How many go into to relationships? And how many go into business? And there's no magic correct number here. And that number shouldn't be the same. You shouldn't have the same workout routine your entire life. You shouldn't eat the same way. You shouldn't have the same daily routine. And so your quadrant shouldn't be there. When you go through, you're, you're starting your company, you're, it's your busy season, and you want to take some points away from relationship and put them in business, I think that's a totally reasonable thing. Quite candidly, I'm doing that right now. That's a conversation my family and I have had. They know it's, it's a particular time right now. And I'm going to miss like Saturdays are just work days. That's just, that's a full day of work. That's just how it is right now. I work before they wake up. I work like they know that. But they know that that's, this ends on a certain day. Doesn't mean I'm going to retire, but you guys could, it's like it's small points here, right? So there's no more like, oh my God, you're doing another meeting. It's like, oh yeah, like this was the established. Everyone, there are three laptops behind Andy right now. <laughs> that's the true story. <laughs> Sorry. One of them is only for fantasy football though, purely. So just so we're clear. Point recovery. That is what it is, right? A couple of other things to say about this. One of the rules I always advocate, regardless of where you're at, is there can be no more than a two-to-one ratio of physical training to recovery, period. So if you've got physical training at four, recovery cannot be one. Not going to happen, right? Whether recovery is sleep, whether it's you know getting a massage or whatever, but there has got to be at least half of our points in there. Uh, you just don't see people go very long when that number gets skewed higher than that. It just doesn't happen. You can do it for a while. You can do it, yeah. At first. And then you maybe get the dreaded injury that we already talked about. Or burnout or any other thing. Or worse. Yep. Like something bad happens there. 
the reality of it is the overwhelming, by the way, I always have people start off with business, ah, three, four, right? And then we always do recovery last. And you'll realize like they go business and then they go physical practice typically. And it's like, oh shit, I'm at seven already. Like, okay, you see your family. Mm, guess family gets a wow, man. Like, they, like they, you have nowhere to go, right? Like, <laughs> he's like, shoot. One for family, yeah. two for recovery. At least you got the two. How's it going for you? By the way, that's the most common number by far, right? And then people have to say, and I have to say, yo, you put four times as much energy into work as you do your family. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm a great dad. I'm a great dad. Like, hey, I'm not, it's not the judge time. This is like a self-reflection. Let's be honest here. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just reading your results yeah. that you put down, sir. Yeah, it's your data. Ma'am. Yours, sir. Yeah, exactly. And it is super important because a lot of times it is just a reality check. We need to say, hey, it's okay. It's okay to go four to one family to business. Like probably wouldn't be your permanent strategy for 50 years, but maybe it is like maybe whatever. Right. And so we have that thing. And then what I typically recommend people do is um, I actually like sticky notes and you make that quadrant, you put those numbers and that needs to go in three places. One, it needs to go in a place where you have your biggest point of failure. And so let's imagine you just suck at recovery. You skip your mobility stuff every day. You find those 15 minutes and yeah, I just, I'm not going to get it in today. Right. Like that's your that. Great. And why don't you get it in? Ah, uh, cause I get fill in the blank. I just get stuck at work. Great. So that quadrant goes on your laptop. Where's the point where you're going to look at this and go, I'm failing right now. And that's going to hit you in the face. It's going to go with somebody else. You make this contract with spouse, coworker, co-founder, kid, whatever. Right. Like, and they're going to have that and go, dad, this was the deal. Mm. And you can choose to break it, but this is a much harder thing to break now because someone else has been there. And it doesn't even have to be like a disappointed kid, by the way. It can also be like a, a boss. Hey, I'm struggling with my health right now. I need to invest in my health right now. This is a big deal to me. Can you please help me get away? And a great boss can be like, absolutely. Going to cut you off. Going to do the thing. Whatever the case is, right? Neighbor, who cares? And the last place is point of joy, right? Put that in like your happy place. Like put that in your gym where you like love to train. And you're like, yeah. You get to spend my three on training. So it's not all a negative, like, God, God, God can't do it experience, right? So we put it in all three of those places. Um, we want to make a change. Fine, we can do that. We got to make a change in all three places. We're going to throw the piece of paper away. We're going to put it back down and then we're going to adjust. That's fine. We adjust in life. Things happen. Stuff break, you know, pops in, pops out. That's cool. But that is a written contract, if you will, between ourselves. So um, very, very, very valuable. Um, I generally recommend doing it every quarter. So reassess, right? That tends to run pretty well. So what's it look like in three months? Where do we want to go the next three months? What's it going to look like? You're never, for the record, ever going to feel like it's the right time to pull down on business. Never going to feel right. But at some point you go, okay, well, when do we give extra love to the relationships? When do I go out on some dates? When do I go spend some time going to a baseball game? Like, whew. <laughs> yeah, like it's never a good time, right? I looked at you first, woman. <laughs> love it. The I mean, Kenny King matrix yeah, of like her, life satisfaction and yeah. success. And I really love the the thing you said, which I think is so important. And someone else has used the phrase like seasons of life. But I do think it's so important to remain flexible. And that's why the quarterly thing, right? Because, you know, what your life looks like and priorities are when you have a newborn look really different than, you know, Kelly and I who just have a kid that went off to college. So, you know, it really does. I, I really appreciate it. Why don't part. you uh, um, take a few questions, yeah, maybe take, cherry pick a few. I'm gonna, there's not that many questions. You probably saw some of them as well. I didn't. I just talked trash to Mark Bell and I didn't see the rest. So. Yeah, I did too. Okay, so here we go. Here's <laughs> the first one. What nutrition supports mitochondrial development for strength and endurance athletes? Yeah, my initial answer there is there's better questions to ask on this one is how I'd say it, right? So if you're looking for nutrition for the primary... This person doesn't need any fiber. 
Okay, <laughs> let's start there. <laughs> like that would be a good place. If we're trying to enhance mitochondria, nutrition would not be in the top three or four things I'd go after. That that would be the honest reality, right? So you want to think about these things when you want to make a physiological biochemical change. You want to think of two actions: one, make new; two, remove anchor. If you're not in a position, I mean, I would even step back and say, why do you think that that's a problem? Why are you so convinced you don't have enough mitochondria? Or they're not the highest. Like, how do you know? Like, Jack Cruz has entered the chat. <laughs> yeah, like, let's let's question that assumption first, right? It, um, typically, and the reason I'm saying that is not to demean this person at all. I don't know. When people typically say sciencey things like that, especially for something that is not measurable, it's almost always because they associate that with something going on. And so I step back and be like, okay, what are you feeling like that makes you think this is a mitochondria issue? Oh, I feel fine. I feel great. Uh, but I know it's super important. I want to optimize. Okay, great. Why is that the target then? Because now we're going to get a nutritional intervention based on research saying that it was there to do a specific thing, but we don't actually know if that thing matters or, or it's there. So we haven't asked a, a particularly good question of what we're actually going at because the reality is we're trying to solve something. Do we have a clinical deficiency in, in mitochondria? If that's the case, go to your doctor and get drugs. They'll work way better. Like that's going to be a bigger solution. If there's something like, oh, I don't feel energy, I think my, okay, now let's really assess what's happening here because there's almost surely better solutions. All that said, when you want to talk about mitochondrial biogenesis, there, there's just nothing that's going to come in this outside of drugs. And even those probably we can argue. Exercise is going to be the absolute king here. And you can do a combination of things here, but any sort of conditioning, endurance, fatigue-based exercise is going to, in the specific exercising muscle, um, which is another problem, right? Like, do you want mitochondria in your quad? Or did you want it like everywhere? What, what are we talking about here? Like, did you want it just in like, just the VL or like? <laughs> more of everything. I want more of more everything. More of everything. <laughs> yeah. So did you not think I'd say it's like, it, it, like a combination of lower intensity, movement, steady state stuff, right? Call this gear one, gear two, right? This is, I'd like the gears from, you know, Brian way more than, heart rate zones, things like that. So I'm all for sure going to go zone or gear one, gear two, but then I'm also going to do gear three, gear four stuff. Like we're going to do combination stuff and we're going to work anything that's, um, uh, last thing I'll say, the way you want to think about this is physiology is very simple. Said principle, Kelly, you remember this from 30 years ago, like specific adaptation to impose demand. If it is challenged, it adapts, period. If it's not, it won't. If you challenge the tissue for energy production and management, it will adapt. That's all you have to worry about. Challenge it. Challenge it. If you want it to be more fatigue resistant, challenge it with fatigue. It will adapt, period. I love it. Okay, next question is, and I think this is probably pretty common and there's a similar additional question, but this user says, my LDL is always high, even though I eat well, sleep well, and exercise four days a week. Is there anything women can do to lower LDL or should I not worry if we are eating, sleeping, and moving well? Really hard for me to answer. This is Teasing on the line of medical, right? If if you want to have a, if you're worried about LDL for cardiovascular risk stuff, which is legitimate, I don't, I don't know. Like, go to a medical professional there. I don't know how old this person is either. Uh, I don't know if this is peri or postmenopause. Those answers would change. Should you not worry about it? I don't know. Like, this is something that your doctor would need to pay attention to. And let me point out that we haven't qualified or quantified. I sleep well. I eat well. I move well. Well, okay. So here's the funny thing about that. I can tell you unequivocally, I do this little thing in my uh, nutrition class every single semester where the kids got to track their food, all that stuff. Everybody self-reports they eat. Uh, it's, it's pretty good. It's not great, but it's pretty good. And then when you see it, you're like, oh yeah, you had Oreos for dinner. Stop. Like stop <laughs> again. Again. 
Like, okay, yeah, but you had a salad at lunch, and that was pretty good. All right, great. So we have there. Now, when it comes to sleep, oh my gosh, I can't tell you how many clients we've had that go, I sleep pretty well, um, but they can just afford it or they're interested or something else is going on. And then we run an actual, uh, with our company, Absolute Rest, we're going to run full PSG clinical FDA approved sleep studies in their actual bedroom, right? You'll be very stunned with people like, actually, we did this with, um, oh, how can I say this? Okay, I got to be careful. With a current UFC world champion, this person's perception of sleep was was great, ran it using a commercial, let's just say available sleep technology and was getting great scores, ran an actual sleep study and found just all kinds of things. And now we have a real opportunity to take this person to even higher level because there's a lot of stuff that go way beyond um, what those things can measure. Um, I mean, again, like not to say anything bad about those companies, but when something is taking a measurement once every five minutes versus a hundred times a second, we've got a whole lot more fidelity and accuracy and we're measuring everything in the room, volatile organics, carbon dioxide, like we, we're measuring everything there. We can see a whole lot more. So when people say, oh, I see decent. Yeah, we'll see. The next answer is yeah, tell yeah, me more about like, that. Like, yes. And prove it. Prove it. Yeah. It's like, I sleep decent. How many coffees do you have a day? Just like six. Not that bad. I just I drink a bag of Laird every day. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. What else you got, Jay? Okay, next one. There's only a couple more. Does Dr. Galpin know of anecdotal evidence or studies which show if running performance is improved by a conditioning method like upper body only assault bike, say for injured folks who can't run, what would be an appropriate method to increase aerobic volume? Yeah, totally. Now, there's a sliding scale here, right? If you're running a two-hour marathon, probably not. Right. We're probably not going to get you going there much, right? But for the person who this is more likely describing, um, remember when, when we're talking things like VO2 max, there's a central and peripheral component. Central meaning your actual heart uh, and lungs to some extent. And then peripheral meaning the, the actual exercising tissue. So uh, if you're running, it's going to be heavily on your lower body and legs, right? If you're swimming, a combination of upper and you know, all these things, right? So there's a central and peripheral component to it. That said, if you're doing, say, upper body, just a ski erg, right? Even just a static, don't even hinge, just a ski erg. Uh, the old days, we'd have upper body ergometers, right? We just pedal. If you're watching this video, you can see me kind of like, it's like a hand bike, if you will. Uh, in the wrestling community, it's still used heavily. You put somebody on an upper body erg, holy cow, like you can get some real high levels of systemic fatigue. Not the same as you can with your legs. Muscle mass is just lower, um, but you can get there. So my point is, if you can get yourself in a position where you can get your heart challenged, then it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter what exercise you're doing. If it's challenged, it adapts, right? So if you can do an upper body exercise, I don't care if this is a plank. I don't care if this is an over, you know, like stand upside down on a handstand. It doesn't matter. If you can get your cardiovascular system challenged, then it's going to be challenged. And it doesn't know or care what movement you're doing. It has no idea. The local muscle is going to be different, right? Your upper body is probably going to fatigue faster than your cardiovascular system will for most people. Swimmers and other folks, it won't actually maybe be the opposite. But the cardiovascular system, if it's a beat in 150 beats a minute for 20 minutes, it's beating 150 beats for 20 minutes. It doesn't know or care what you're doing. It's the same exact adaptation because it's the same challenge. It doesn't have any, it doesn't have any bearing. Right. That counts. <laughs> that counts. Yeah. I mean, I did that, I did it at your place. Remember, I was actually at you guys' gym, like maybe 16 hours after knee surgery one time. And it's like three-legged. Yeah. And you three-legged, three-limbed, three-limbed. Okay. This is the last one, which I think may be a little bit similar to the LDL question, but I'm going to hit it anyway, because it's our last one. What is the best way to lower your blood pressure? As a teacher and CFL1 coach, I trained four to five days a week, eat clean, 10% body fat. 
My blood pressure is 135 over 80. Both my brothers have high blood pressure and I don't want to have to take drugs. Is it just genetics? Is it a curse? Is there anything else I can do? Again, we're, we're medical. That's not, I don't know, you know, not my expertise there for sure. Um, there's a certainly a familial That's what I aspect to that, no question. If you want to talk about some stuff I can comment on, and that is the role of isometric training in blood pressure. The good research. Let's hear it. On that, like really good research on isometric training, even grip strength. Viva la Caldeets. Yeah, like just even grip strength training and a hand grip training. You're talking about doing like a six second squeeze. Typically protocols are, you know, like 12 or so repetitions. If I'm remembering this correctly, usually a couple times a day. Six weeks later in folks that are hypertensive and not doing anything else, um, you will often see a, a, a significant clinically relevant reduction in blood pressure. This person is not that person. Like you probably have a lot of things stacked. So you would have to really consult with medical. But um, isometrics are really, really helpful for blood pressure. Love it. That's cool. I didn't know that. That's awesome. What else do you have? I mean, we went way over our time and I still didn't ask you a hundred questions that I wanted to. Okay. To sum up, people need more access to your brain. One of the things that you have done that is so valuable to the rest of us is you have created so many pathways for us to get micro learning in about fundamentals of physiology. Where can we dive into some of those things and just sort of catch up with you and all the education you've been putting out? Yeah. I mean, my social media is entirely science communication for the most part. So that's the uh, Twitter is the easiest place. If you're the person who like, like basically new studies come out or things that I find interesting, I, I put them up there. That's kind of what I do. Instagram's I'm a little bit crappier at that. That's that's all those platformers are. So if you want like the continuous ongoing stuff, that's there. Um, my YouTube page is, God, I don't know, many hours of free education. It's it's most of my university material. So if you want to take kind of senior graduate level program design, physiology, hydration, training, muscle stuff, that's all up there for free. Uh, I don't have like a paywall or a give me your email address sort of thing. It's an incredible Yeah, and so as well. a user of it myself, highly recommend five stars to your YouTube channel. Oh, thanks. And there's um, five, 25, and 55-minute versions, but I'll give you fair warning as maybe you've gleaned some from this conversation. When I say five minutes, I mean maybe like 15. When I say 55, I might mean three hours. Don't look at me, Julia. <laughs> We're like, Kelly, make a one-minute video. Go. Summarize complex <laughs> human biology. It's like his... Worst 11 nightmare. seconds. <laughs> Kumite. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> Kelly's like, I can't even, he's like, I can't even say my whole name in one minute. Andy, thank you so much. Thank you so much, It Andy. is so great to see you. I hope we can have you back one day. I just want everyone to know, understand how important you have been in my development as a coach and the material you put out and how you synthesize it. It's just, you have been such a value to strength and conditioning. Thank you, my friend. Yeah, and ditto to me. I mean, I'm a fan of your work and a follower and I have learned so much from you and your teachings and all the things you're doing. So thank you so much. No, it's, you guys are, are way too kind. You guys are uh, you guys are the stars in the field. Uh, I just got to, to blaze a little path behind you guys. Um, you know, it, it's anytime, it, it's a huge honor. You guys texted us, of course, let's do it next week. Like, I'm not going to hesitate for you guys. So. <laughs> we were so stoked. Yeah, man, you guys uh, too also like... Uh, I mean, let's be real, Kelly. No one was doing what you were doing before you did it. No one was putting this stuff up. No one was putting these things out there on the world. Someone just has to go first. Yeah, man. So we all were like, hey, you can do this science stuff and just put it out to the world. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be serious. I'm not just, um, I'm pumping you up. But like, if you look at my first series of YouTube videos, like you're going to see Mobility Wad in there. And by that, I mean, I was like, I didn't have equipment. I, I didn't know what to do. And I was like, man, the biggest barrier to entry was going, I don't want to learn how to, how to record these things and put them up there and produce them. And I literally would just go back to your first videos and be like, 
Kelly was on a skateboard, did on his phone. Like I'm going out there. And it was like, my thing was like, yo, if the content is good, it'll be okay. Like just trying to make the audio not terrible. And a hundred percent was like, and for the record, I'm on the record saying this. So I'm not just saying this to be nice, but like I've told this story many, many times that I was just like, what would Kelly do? How would Kelly do it? And it's just like, just get it out there and went back to it. So there's no way I would have had my YouTube up at all without you guys having yourself up first. So you could have seen the number of 10 PM nights where Juliet was holding the camera. Wake me up on the, the iPhone one. <laughs> iPhone, iPhone one. The iPhone well, Alpha. That's the one didn't we have were video. using. Didn't have video. That's the one we were using. Dr. Anyway, Galpin, yeah, Dr. thank you Galpin, so much. Thank you for being here. Best and- to your family. Thank you for pulling away on a Friday. We appreciate you. Thank you for listening to the Ready State Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, check out all our episodes here or at thereadystate.com. And be sure to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes to help others find our show. Check us out and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Ready State. Until next time, cheers, everyone. You got it. You better stop it.